0: You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by Honest Tea. Check out Honest Tea's organic bottled teas today at honesttea.com forward slash podcast. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want, now. Hello, welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am your host, personal empowerment coach, Paul Coliani. I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self worth and self esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. All right, the first thing I want to talk about is um, something that's going to be a little uh, complex, and it's called double binds. I was talking to a client of mine recently regarding the use of double binds in relationships. And um, I have sort of a a theory that we all put each other into something called a double bind uh, quite often in, in our relationships. And there was a study in the 50s by Gregory Bateson and some other scientists, I'm sure, where they wanted to know the origination of schizophrenia. And if it was purely genetic or if it could be a learned behavior because um, schizophrenia is is kind of like you it, it's like you're going crazy you know you just feel like uh, people are against you or uh, there are things crawling on you or you know there I'm sure there are all kinds of symptoms for that but um, I've noticed a lot of similarities and my studies have shown that there are a lot of similarities to the uh, gaslighting and crazy making of Emotionally abusive relationships. So that got me thinking that um, if there was a common theme, which there does seem to be, and therapists have put this together already, but uh, it's just kind of new to me, where when you put your loved ones in a no-win type of situation where you say something like, a good example of a double bind is, uh, uh, don't you love me? Or if you loved me, you would do this for me. It's sort of like a, um, I can't win either way. No matter what I say, I will not be able to give you the right answer. So a double bind is basically a no-win situation. Well, there's other definitions for it. But in this case, it's like a no-win situation. Somebody says, if you love me, you would do this for me. How do you respond to that? Well, I do love you. Well, then if you do love me, you would do this for me. But you're not doing this for me, so you lose either. no matter what you say. You lose no matter how you respond to the statement or the question. And double binds like this, like I said, are very prevalent in emotionally abusive relationships, people who manipulate. But the thing is, we all do it. I mean, I've done this in my past. I don't know if I can't say we all do it, but I'm just saying it's a common thing where I've said uh, very some, something very similar like, if you loved me, you would do this, that puts the other person in a very binding situation. They are bound to lose, no matter how they respond, because that takes away their power. That takes away their freedom of choice. It shuts down any type of response that they could come up with that gives them their ability to utilize their free will so what happens is when you take away somebody's free will i mean you're not actually doing that i mean you can't just take away someone's free will uh well you could physically i mean you could imprison them i mean there are things you can do but just in a general conversation you can't literally take away someone's free will but you can set them up so that they believe they don't have it And that's where this gets tricky. So if I say something like, if you loved me, you would do this. That takes away their ability to choose anything else, but to answer within the boundaries of the question, if you loved me, so now I have to address the fact that I do love you or I don't, you would do this for me. And here's the second part of the double bind. I am either doing this thing for you or I'm not. So really, I have to address, according to the way that statement is structured, I have to address the part one, do I love you or not? And part two, uh, am I doing that or not? There's no room for me to go outside of the boundaries of that statement, which corners me into a position of no win because I am not given another choice. I am only given the choices that you are presenting to me. Meaning, I am being presented with a reality that can only go in one direction. It's made as a black and white dilemma. There's no gray area. There's no room for outside opinion beyond that. And you're putting me, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying the person doing this and me being the victim of it, putting me in a defensive position. So if my loved one said, if you loved me, you would do this for me. I would immediately put myself in a defensive stance and go, "Well, I, I do love you. Of course, I love you. I I would do anything for you. But what you're asking is is out of you know the ordinary or whatever. Yeah, but if you loved me, you would do it. They automatically define the meaning of love, and the meaning of doing this for me means that you love me. And they're almost saying that nothing else you do means that you love me. This means that you love me. So we could probably explore the psychological aspect of that and really tear it apart. But uh, for the most part, it really is binding someone to a particular path. It is manipulation at its finest, unfortunately. And it works very well because the first thing that most people do is jump into a defensive state and defend themselves to what can be seen as an accusation. If you love me, you would do this for me. That's accusing someone of not doing something because they don't love them. Uh, so being accused puts a lot of people into a defensive state. So that's sort of what a double bind is. I mean, there are other double binds too. I wrote some down here. Uh, let me see what they are. One of the more common ones is saying something like, you're never spontaneous. And uh, in order for the person to be spontaneous, they have to do it in a self-initiated way. However, if somebody said you're never spontaneous, then the other person is initiating that, which takes away your power, takes away your ability to be spontaneous because when you are spontaneous, they'll say, well, you're only doing that because I told you to. So now you lose either way. It's a no-win situation. This is what double binds do. They put you in a no-win situation, and either way, you'll feel the punishment, and you'll realize that no matter what I say, I lose. So there's two points I want to make with this. Uh, One, if you yourself are doing this to people you love, you are probably making them crazy. (laughs) You are probably uh, hurting your relationship. You are creating a sense of tension in your relationship. And you are creating probably anxiety and other things. So it's important that you understand that when you come up with these questions or comments, no matter how they answer, and you don't give them the room to answer in a more freeform way. Like you structure your question and they have no choice but to address exactly what you're talking about. Like they can't go outside the boundaries of your communication. They have to address the components of your statement Otherwise, you can prove it's true or whatever you're you're trying to do. The whole point for someone to use a double bind against you, uh, which isn't necessarily conscious. It's just the way they've learned to communicate and get their needs met and get the answer they want from you. Uh, the whole purpose for them to do that is to put you in a place that no matter what, I will be right and you will be wrong. And when they create a double bind uh, on you, And no matter how you answer, you lose, they win. So I think it's important to start seeing the double binds in your relationship. Start identifying when double binds occur. And if you don't like the the name double bind because you can't remember it, just ask yourself what is binding me to a particular answer instead of answering the way I want to answer or that's healthy. Another way to look at it is a no win situation. No matter how I answer the question, I will lose, and they have, you know, one up on me. There's a great um, comment I heard. It goes uh, The person asking the questions controls the conversation. So as long as someone is asking you questions, you're always engaged in a way that forces you to continue answering those questions. Like if um, somebody came in the room and said, what are you doing here? Uh, What's the first thing you think of? (laughs) The first thing I think of is I have to answer this question. Oh, uh, I live here or I'm shopping or I'm waiting for someone. You know, the first thing you do is you think I must answer this question because this person must have a reason that they're asking me. Maybe they're the boss. Maybe they live there and you're not supposed to be there. Maybe you're in a room that they've uh, reserved and you're not supposed to be in that room or whatever. You apply some sort of authority on people who ask the questions. And this can be very manipulative. If, If you ask people questions, they stay engaged, continuing to answer, and almost as if they have to defend their actions because... They believe in their actions, so why not defend their actions? They have to stay in that state. And then the person says, uh, how long are you going to be here? And you go, well, I'm going to be here for another 15 minutes. And then you might say, well, is there a problem? I mean, am I supposed to be here? what's, What's going on? And then they might keep you engaged by going, well, who said you were allowed to be in here? And still, you are on the defensive, like you're doing something wrong. It's sort of like a parent, how they talk to a child. When you feel like you're being talked down to like that, you're going to continue answering as long as they keep asking the question. Now, I call this place a trance. (laughs) I call it when you are engaged and continuing to be on the defensive and answering questions, you're in a trance. You're in this space of, I got to keep answering. I got to keep answering. I might get in trouble. I got to keep answering. And this trance is hard to pop out of because there's a little fear, probably. You might feel like, well, if I ask them a question, they might think I'm being defiant. And then what will happen? So we keep ourselves in this pattern, in this state of trance, hoping that there's a resolution. Because if they go, oh, okay, well, never mind. I thought this was a different room. Or, oh, oh, I I heard from Peter and he said it was okay for you to be here. I just want to find out. Thanks so much. And then they walk out of the room. Then you feel some, possibly, some resolution. You feel like, oh, there was an escape out of that uh, scary place that I was in. You may not be scared, but you get the idea. It's like you're continuing to be questioned as if you were being interrogated in regards to a crime. It's an uncomfortable feeling. So you just want to answer the questions as honestly as possible, hoping that they get their resolution. And this is part of that trance. We're trying to help someone else get their resolution instead of focusing on our own resolution. And I think that's important. How many times do we do this in life? How do I help you get happier? How do I help you get your needs met? Instead of going, wait a minute, This person is violating me. This person is disrespecting me. I like to look at it as how am I being violated, disrespected, neglected, blamed, shamed, or something else. Is anything like that happening here? Because when I feel it, I might have to address it. I might have to stand up and go, hey, wait a minute. You're being a little rude. Can I ask you what the problem is? Now, that Kind of response that might be hard for some people to do. It might be hard for you to do, Uh, but it is a good response to take control of your life, take control of the situation, take control to the point where you can understand what's going on so that you aren't continually put on the defense. Uh, You're not continually questioned without knowing what exactly is happening. Now it's time to turn the tables. Hey, I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to be here. Can I ask what's going on? I mean, you want to get out of that defensive place, especially when you feel like you're being led down a road that you feel violated, disrespected, neglected, blamed, or shamed. You want to get out of that space so you get to keep your power. Losing your power, that puts you in uh, more of an abusive mind state. I hate to say it. An abused mind has very high levels of toleration and becomes very resilient to this type of um, questioning or approach. Why are you doing this? Why would you do this to me? If you loved me, you would do this for me. All of these things that will make even the abused person feel violated, disrespected, neglected, blamed, shamed, and so on. But they've learned to be resilient to those feelings. Oh, I'm going to accept that because I don't have the resources or the tools to get out of that state. I just know that uh, there must be something wrong with me. So I'm going to stay in this state and just answer the questions, do the best I can, even in the no-win, double-bind situation. So the structure of this whole thing is very abusive. And I will say that a lot of us don't know we're doing it. We just paint our loved ones into a corner and get the answer that we want to hear instead of just having an open conversation about it. So I don't want to leave you with just that. I want to give you maybe some tools or a couple comebacks if you want to call them that or escape routes so that when you are in any type of no-win double-bind situation you can actually get out of them because you are more worthy than being put on the defense like that. You deserve a say. You have relationship rights. (laughs) You have a right to speak what's on your mind and ask why they're asking you have a right to stand up and say wait you're giving me a no-win situation i can't answer that to your satisfaction now i'm not saying you have to say those particular things but what i want you to do is when you feel like you're in a no-win situation there's a couple ways to approach it a you can do exactly what i just said hey you're painting me into a no-win situation you're asking me to answer a specific question without even giving me a chance to express my reasons for doing what I'm doing. You can't just say, if you loved me, you would do this for me, because there's more to it. I could even have a comeback and say, if you loved me, you wouldn't ask me questions like that. (laughs) Do you want me to answer you like that? Because what you're doing is trying to make me wrong no matter what, and get your needs met, and manipulate me into an answer that will satisfy you instead of giving me the ability to use my free will and feel like I have a say in this relationship instead of just doing everything you want me to do. So yes, one part of this is you standing up going, don't ask me like that. Let's have a conversation about it. But don't paint me into a corner, into a no-win situation. Because if I said, I do love you, your answer's going to be, then why aren't you doing this thing for me? Or if I said, I don't want to do that thing for you, you're going to say, well, then you don't love me. And that's an unfair statement because look, I'm still here. I'm still with you. I still want to work out uh, the problems in our relationship. But if you're going to give me this no win kind of scenario that no matter what I say, I'll look bad, then I refuse to play that game. That's what my girlfriend does, actually. <laughs> if she ever detects that for me, she'll be like, oh, no, I'm not playing that game. And then I have to think, oh, did I just put her in a double bind? (laughs) We all do it. We all say things that uh, we, when we look at it, we go, wait a minute. There's no way for them to answer that question without them being wrong or me looking like I'm the righteous one. And so I have to explore these things in me and go, wait, did I just manipulate? We're so used to how we speak. We don't think about what we're doing to our loved ones. So there's uh, one component. Another way to get out of it, if you're not in a space where you feel confident enough to go, wait a minute, back off, this is a problem, you can't ask me like that, I'm not going to play that game. Uh, If you're not in that space, then you go into the other space, and hopefully you'll get into that space someday. I want you to be able to stand up for yourself and call people out and say, no, that's not right. But if you're not there yet, we need to have one step out of the defensive place. So, first of all, I want you to recognize what's going on what's going on they're They're putting me in a no-win situation. Okay, I recognize that so no matter what I say, if it doesn't fulfill their criteria, then they will have proven me wrong and themselves right. all right, so I can't really answer in the way they're uh, stating the question or the statement. So, what do I do? Well, let's take the example. If you loved me, you would do this for me. Where I go with that is is I only address one portion of the statement. So if I was in a situation where I didn't feel confident enough to stand up and say, hey, back off, I'm going to zoom out and get a bigger picture of what's going on here and ask myself, what are they trying to accomplish? What is their goal here? Obviously, their goal is to get me to do something for them. So instead of focusing on if I don't do it, I don't love you, I focus on the thing they want me to do and ask the question, so it's important that I do this for you. Now, what I'm doing is turning it around and asking them a question and only focusing on one half of the double bind. I'm focusing on the part that um, I want to know more about because the love part isn't what's that question here. And that part's already taken care of. They're trying to use my love against me. They're trying to make me answer by saying that I don't love them otherwise. So that's just a non-issue. I want you to find the non-issue in their statement or question. If you love me, you do this for me. Well, love is a non-issue, so I'm not even going to address that part. Now, if you do this for me, let's talk about that. So this thing that you want me to do, it sounds like it's really important to you. They might go, yes, it's very important to me. I don't know why you're not doing it. And now we can start focusing on what the subject really is instead of what they're trying to hold against me. Because double binds typically can do that. They're very um, revealing of what they're trying to hold against you or blame you about or hold over your head. I think that's a good way to say it. What are they holding over your head? They're holding love over my head. All right, so let's just take love out of it so they're not holding love over my head anymore and not address that part. I'm going to address the part, uh, the, the real subject, the need they're trying to get met. I want you to do this for me. Let's just say, I'm going to keep it simple. Let's just say, I want you to wash the dishes once a week. I want you to do this for me. If you love me, you would wash the dishes once a week. So you take the love part out because that's not part of the equation and they can't hold it over your head if you don't make it part of the equation. Let's focus on the dishes. So doing the dishes is important to you. Yes, it's important to me. You never do the dishes. And now you can have a conversation that doesn't involve manipulation. And you can say, you're right, I I don't do the dishes. I, I work very hard and I'm sorry, I didn't know how important that was to you. Or you can say anything that comes to mind. But what you're doing is taking both of you out of the manipulation equation and starting to focus on the subject at hand because you can have a real conversation about the subject. It might be true, you don't do the dishes and you're too tired and you don't think you should have to do the dishes. And that might be a conversation you get into or a very heated argument. (laughs) But uh, you don't want it to end up in in those double-binding, no-win situations. Let's take another example. And this is a more difficult uh, one to address. Can't you see that you're hurting me? Now, in this situation, it is a double-bind because no matter how you answer it, if you say, yes, I can see that I'm hurting you, then you lose. And... I mean, you might not lose. I mean, you could be hurting them, but let's just say you're not. Let's just say that they're using that as a manipulation. So if you say, yes, I can see how I'm hurting you, then they're going to be like, yep, right. Now I win and you lose, so now you have to explain yourself. But if you said, no, I can't see how I'm hurting you. Now they still have you. (laughs) Now it's like, you can't even see what you're doing to me. This is how evil you are. So it really puts you again in that defensive place. But uh, when we look at the, uh, the question, Can't you see that you're hurting me? There's really no subject involved. What do we do? So here you take out what's not true in your mind. You visit, well, I know I'm not hurting that person. It's not intentional. It might happen as a result of what I do, but it's not intentional. So I'm going to take hurt out of the equation and ask them specifically, tell me what I'm doing that's hurtful to you. Taking you hurting them out of the equation doesn't mean that they're not hurt. So we can still address it in a way that they feel, but don't address it in a way where you're defending yourself from hurting them. If you're truly not intending to hurt them, you need to take that out of the equation. And any words that you say to them will not involve you going, I didn't hurt you. I don't mean to hurt you. Because as soon as you add that back into the equation, then it becomes a source of uh, conversation or argument. So you want to take that out. Take out the words I and hurt that are together out of the equation and then just treat hurt as a separate entity. What is hurting you? You can ask that question. What is hurting you? Then they might say, when you do this, it hurts me. And then you can re-ask the question, what do I do that you feel hurt by? But try to avoid going into a space of, I don't mean to hurt you. I am not hurting you. Uh, whenever you use the words i and the emotion that they're feeling like i don't mean to anger you i don't mean to upset you then you keep the energy behind their accusation alive so you want to take that out you take out the words i and hurt in the same sentence and you separate them so you can say so what you're saying is what i do causes you to feel hurt instead of saying what i do hurt you you, you tell the subtle difference right as a consequence of what I'm doing, is causing you to feel hurt. You're breaking it out a little bit, and you're not making you the direct cause, but you're saying that their reaction is hurt, but you're not the cause of that. Their reaction is the cause. So what I'm doing is causing you to feel hurt. That's what I'm hearing. And they might go, yes. So let's talk about what I'm doing. Well, when you do this, it hurts me. Yeah. What specifically about what I do is causing you to feel that way? And now you're, now you're focused on the behavior, your own behavior, because you might be doing something that's hurting them. They might be absolutely right. But when they ask the question that puts you in that no-win situation, can't you see that you're hurting me? Again, ask yourself, do I have the option of answering yes or no without this going into a, a deeper place of upset? That might not be the best question. I might have to think of a better one. <laughs> but you get the idea. Is answering yes or no going to work out for me? If it doesn't, then you want to focus on the subject and not the emotion. The subject is what I'm doing. What am I doing? What specifically about what I do causes you to feel hurt? Let's focus on the subject. This might be hard to do in the moment because you get triggered. You're emotionally activated and energized and you're in the moment. But it does take some practice to step outside, make it a bigger picture. What are their needs? What are they trying to get met? Because when I look at that, like, can't you see what you're doing is hurting me? Then I see that they're trying to highlight a behavior that they don't like that causes them to be emotionally triggered. But if you jump into a defensive space, like, I'm not doing that to hurt you. I'm not doing that. It suddenly becomes all about you. Then that's where the trance begins and you can't escape out of it. And you'll likely not have a very productive conversation. And the other person will be able to successfully manipulate it and uh you won't feel very good and even probably they won't feel very good unless they're doing it intentionally because no one gets their needs met they feel hurt unloved what have you you feel like you're not being heard that you don't have a voice that no matter what you do or say is good enough and it just never works out so that's all I'm going to say about double binds this is a deeper subject i actually go into it with some more examples and some resolutions in an upcoming revision to the MEAN worksheet, so if you've ordered the MEAN worksheet, the um, Manipulative and Emotionally Abuse worksheet, where it's an assessment of emotional abuse in your relationship and what to do about it and how to get through it and maybe how to get out of it, if you've ordered that MEAN worksheet at theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash MEAN, then you'll get that revision and what I call the crazy making of double binds because it really can be crazy making, especially if it's highly prevalent in your relationship and one or both of you are always putting these no-win statements or questions toward each other so that there's a lot of hurt feelings after. And that's just no way to have a relationship. So once you know about these, maybe they'll start to diminish. If you and your loved ones can talk about how you're painting each other into a corner and how you're forcing an answer that makes them wrong no matter what, maybe that uh, behavior can stop and you can come up with some new ways to communicate which is my hope for humanity (laughs) so anyway thanks for joining me today coming up to the next segment where I read an email from someone with a challenge and do my best uh, to help them out be right back Alright, a few episodes ago I talked about that movie Twilight. Well, I didn't really talk about it. (laughs) I admitted to watching it. It was what Honest T calls a refreshingly honest moment. I love those refreshingly honest moments. They're often the unspoken gaps in stories that we tell our friends and family because we only want to share with them what we believe they should know. Like, yeah, my girlfriend and I went to dinner and saw a movie. We had a great time. I mean, imagine all the unspoken, in-between moments in that one statement. What I really want to say is, oh my god, I saw this movie with werewolves and vampires and they had special powers in this one love triangle that you're not sure if Bella wants Edward or if she really has the hots for this Native American guy whose name I can't remember. I almost cried when Edward saved her from getting hit by that car in the school parking lot. And on and on and on. (laughs) You don't typically share those more personal, intimate details about yourself. Because, you know, you might be afraid of what somebody might think of you. But you know me, this show. I typically share personal details, not because I think you should know every single detail about my life, but because sometimes I do like to be a little bit refreshingly honest, just to tell you that it's okay to be that way. Honest T encourage you to share something refreshingly honest about your life. When they asked me to do it, that's the first thing I thought of that movie. I don't typically go admitting in professional circles that I love the Twilight series, except one of the movies was pretty awful, and I don't want to talk about that one. But (laughs) if I'm asked if I like Twilight, I'm going to be honest. Honest Tea is refreshingly honest as well. They have a project going on right now called the Refreshingly Honest Project. I encourage you to be the authentic you, and Honest Tea is encouraging honesty. They want you to share your lighthearted truths as well. They also want you to know that honest tea is honest, from the way their ingredients are presented to their efforts to make the earth a better place. Take a sip and taste the honest difference. I want you to try it for yourself and perhaps share a laugh in a bottle of honest tea with someone you appreciate. Or maybe buy a bottle for someone you don't even know. I'm joining honest tea in celebrating the lighthearted ways we're less than perfect through the Refreshingly Honest Project. I've shared with you a refreshingly honest moment for me and I encourage you to do the same. If you want more honesty, learn more by visiting honestt.com forward slash podcast. This show has been promoting authenticity and honesty since day one, so visit their website and share your refreshingly honest moment too. Honestt.com forward slash podcast. Welcome back. I had a listener write to me and ask me about um, lashing out and where does lashing out come from? Now, when I hear the term lashing out, I think of you're in a conversation with somebody and then they just, I don't know, yell at you or attack you in some verbal way and um, they feel like you've offended them in some way. It's an emotional trigger and it has a physical response that they... um that they do that is unpleasant to you. So lashing out is like, what? where did that come from? It's usually what happens. So lashing out from what I've learned about it and from what I've explored in myself, it comes from our uh, stored aggression or anger or upset, something that was never resolved. And because it wasn't resolved, it continues to appear every time uh, you're emotionally triggered. Now, an emotional trigger it is an emotional reaction that ignites uh, stored emotional energy. What is that? Stored emotional energy is present when there's a significant event from your past that hasn't been released or resolved. The most prevalent type of stored emotional energy is negative. Yes, there's positive stored emotional energy like um, that time I put a bunch of fake plastic spider rings. Have you ever seen those? There are these little Halloween black spiders that you put on as a ring on your finger. Well, I've got a bunch of them, <laughs> like 20 or 30 of them. And I cut the rings off and I put them in my dad's bed <laughs> and I covered it with a blanket. And um, I forgot about it. And this is when I was living with my dad a long time ago. And uh, we spent the day together and then I forgot all about it. And he went to bed and I was still up watching TV. And he came out holding his heart. (laughs) And uh, for the longest time, uh, just thinking about that memory made me crack up. Now, it was dangerous because (laughs) he's older than me and he could have actually had a heart attack. But, um, you know, to give you closure to this story, he opened the door. I looked up at him and he looked, he was holding his heart and he looked like he had just had a heart attack. And I suddenly got scared and I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong, dad? Are you okay? And he goes, I I got in bed and I felt something and then I started cracking up because I remembered what I did and he goes and I I didn't know what it was and I flipped on the light and I saw all these spiders in my bed I just couldn't control myself, I was crying, I was laughing so hard and um I, I feel bad about it now a little bit and, <laughs> and uh, it was just a memory that stuck with me so In that moment, that laughter made an impact and became stored emotional energy in my system and it was attached to that memory so that uh, for years, every time I told that story, I would just end up laughing about it because that stored emotional energy was still in there attached to that memory. So aside from a mean prank on an older person, uh (laughs) that stored emotional energy happens when there's a significant event in your life where you feel something powerfully emotional for example if you were abused you might have a memory attached to that abuse with an emotion attached to that memory so that will certainly bring up some uh, ptsd it'll bring up post-traumatic Uh, symptoms where you suddenly feel uh, like you're in that place again it may not be as powerful or as impactful as in the moment but it can be I mean it can be quite powerful it can bring you out of any state that you're in and suck you right back to that that moment and uh, that's what an emotional trigger does is that when you experience something in the moment it sucks you back to a previous time uh, when you felt that way uh, for the very first time in a very powerful way. So we walk around with this stored energy and all it takes to activate it is for someone to remind us of how we felt when we first experienced that emotion. Whether we're talking about our past, whether we're, I mean, we could talk about our future and then be reminded of something about our past. And then suddenly we're triggered and then suddenly we lash out. I mean, if if it goes that far, I mean, I, I grew up in a household with an abusive, aggressive alcoholic, and uh, when I got into my first relationship, where the person started to drink alcohol, even just one drink, I became emotionally triggered. I I lashed out. What are you doing, drinking? And uh, I was not very pleasant to be around because I had such a negative impact from childhood. And that I, I figured that if someone drank around me, it was dangerous. They were going to alter their state. I was not going to be a happy person around them. They were putting me in danger. So for the longest time, if anyone I loved drank alcohol, I would get upset with them. It would trigger my fear. So to the person who wrote asking about uh, lashing out behavior, that's what it is. And I think it's a good idea that when you find yourself lashing out to usually someone you love, I mean, it's kind of strange, isn't it? We usually lash out to the people that are closest to us, the ones that we love the most, and we never lash out to the people who actually deserve it. (laughs) The people that uh, do us wrong out in the world, we don't always, I mean, some of us do, some of us don't, but... In my life, I never lashed out to the people that actually deserved it. I only lashed out to the people I love the most. It's just twisted. It's backwards. But it's all part of um, a traumatic upbringing or a dysfunctional upbringing where we feel the safest with the people we love the most. Therefore, we feel safest to feel anything, to feel anger, to feel um, vengeful, to feel upset in any way. We feel safe enough to to be anybody we want and be vulnerable enough with these people because we know that uh, they probably won't hurt us back. But in the real world, we don't know what is going to happen if we um, lash out at someone that might actually deserve it. I've been experimenting myself. I don't lash out, but I become assertive and say, hey, what you're doing is disrespectful or unethical or immoral, and I will call them out on it. And I'm learning that, wow, that actually empowers me, uh, lets them know what they're doing is wrong so that they behave better toward me and hopefully other people. Not that it's my job to make them behave better toward other people, but if they behave better towards me, then my life gets better. Their life gets better because I'm no longer calling them out. And all goes well from there. So I've learned that if someone is doing bad behavior around me, that it's more productive in my life to call them out to make it known that, hey, what you're doing is, it's not right. It doesn't feel right to me. I mean, I may not be able to say exactly what they're doing. I might just have this feeling like what you're doing doesn't feel right to me. I feel like, uh, that makes me upset or what you're doing doesn't feel like very friendly to me. It doesn't feel like you respect me. You know, I might say something like that. I don't have to do that often. I've I've dwindled down my friends to the ones that treat me well, (laughs) and uh, I don't really run into that too often. But when it happens, it's nice to be able to put myself in a vulnerable place and call them out. Now, that's not lashing out. This is what I'm talking about, lashing out today, or at least in this segment. Lashing out is when there's something stored inside of you and that when something happens in the moment, it's almost never about that moment. Like your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend says something or does something and it causes an emotional trigger in you and you're like, how dare you? How dare you do that to me? Or something like that. That might be an extreme example, but let's just say that happened. Is it really about that moment? I mean, yes, it was triggered by that moment. But unless your um loved one absolutely wanted to harm you in some way, then it's probably not not about that moment we interpret it as our loved one wanting to harm us we believe it's their intention to harm us maybe at a deep level i mean maybe consciously we don't see that but at a deeper level we think they're trying to hurt us in some way but typically it doesn't really go in that direction typically the ones we love don't want to intentionally hurt us unless they are that kind of person that's a totally different um show but uh the ones we get along with, the ones who aren't like always manipulating us, the ones who actually want to have a good relationship with us, they're not out to hurt us. And they may do and say stupid things or they may do and say benign things that trigger us. So we have to be aware of what's actually causing the trigger. And this is where I'm going with lashing out. Lashing out typically has to do with something that happened in the past. Because the moment that you feel triggered is emotional energy that's stored in you. It doesn't come out of nowhere, typically. It comes out of somewhere from the past. The example I gave you was when I was a child and I lived with an alcoholic person, the fear and anger and whatever emotions that came up to me back then were all stored in specific events that happened. When he kicked a wall, when he smashed a glass, when he smashed a window, when he smashed something... When he yelled, that was a big trigger for me. When he was yelling and um, when he would do donuts in the yard with his truck, things like that would create these emotional triggers in me. So that when something happened that reminded me of those times, even at a deep subconscious level, my anger would come out. My fear would come out. My controlling behavior would come out. All of these little things would come out because I got charged with that emotional energy at the time, in childhood, and that stuck with me. And I walked through life with it. So when I look at someone lashing out, I can almost always see that it's a um, emotional energy from the past. It's when it happened, when it originally happened. And there are questions that you can ask yourself if you find yourself lashing out. And um, I can give you a few of those now. It's like. Some of the obvious, like, why did I lash out? Why did I just lash out? Well, you know, so-and-so did this. He said or she said something that upset me. All right, what specifically about what they said or did upset you? And then you can explore that and really pinpoint the moment you felt triggered. Not just the whole idea. What was the very thing that they did or said right in that moment that caused that trigger and then you can say what about what they did or said caused that trigger and then you can visit like when was the last time you felt this kind of upset and this is where we start exploring uh, other times that you felt this kind of upset whether it's anger or fear or something else this is where you start connecting dots when was the last time you felt this oh it was yesterday Okay, what was the time before that? Oh, it was a week ago. All right, now, um, when was the first time you can remember feeling this particular upset by this person? That's something interesting to explore because you can go back to the beginning of your relationship and remember the very first time you felt this kind of upset. Now, this is the trap that I fell in with all my relationships, except the one I'm in now, uh, especially my marriage. I remember the beginning of my marriage, I always got triggered when she reached for junk food. And if I were to trace that back to the very first time I got triggered in the relationship, I remembered I was happy. I remembered that I was feeling good until that trigger. Now when that trigger occurred, which was only a few weeks into the relationship, and I had a sudden realization that she had an emotional eating issue, Uh, self-proclaimed i I didn't diagnose her with that she said that she does i became triggered i i thought oh here we go i'm with an addict i'm with someone who's going to use food when she doesn't want to be close to me i will feel like love is being taken away from me i mean i wasn't having these thoughts at the time because i can think about this now and go this is what was happening but at the time i was thinking uh, i was in fear because now I'm with an addict and I don't want to be with an addict because I was with an alcoholic and they were abusive and I have all this fear. And if she eats too much, I'm not going to be happy with her because she uses food as her emotional outlet and a place to uh, feel safe instead of me, all kinds of things going on in there. But I remember being triggered for the first time. And from that moment on, I held that emotional energy from that moment on. I held on to that throughout our entire marriage and that single moment repeated itself over and over and over again it was the initial moment of impact ever since that first time i was triggered that was it i didn't get it resolved so it stayed with me think about the emotional triggers in your relationship when was the first time and has it been resolved has it been talked about has it been healed in you Because if it hasn't, then that will most likely continue to be a problem, a point of contention that continues through your relationship throughout the years. I remember being in my marriage, I was in a continuously triggered state. It affected me big time. It affected my intimacy. It affected my sexuality. It affected uh, my ability to be happy in general, let alone be happy with her, all because of that one trigger that Uh, I did not get resolved. I didn't get help for it. And uh, resolve, I mean, it was deep trigger. Now, I'm not saying that trigger started in this relationship. I'm saying that when I got triggered, that emotional energy must have been there before this relationship. And this is where you go back even further into the past and you ask yourself, when was the first time that you can remember feeling this kind of upset or something like it by anyone else in your life? When was the very first time? Was it in childhood? Uh, Typically it is. Uh, Or was it when you grew up and you had a relationship or, or whatever? You were in a particular situation. When was the first time? And what you're looking for are times when you felt violated, disrespected, neglected, blamed, shamed, or something else. When you can pinpoint the first time, oh, I remember when I was 10 and my stepfather did this i remember that time if you can pinpoint that time and connect the dots and you can't remember an earlier time than that then you can start to unravel the grip that this emotional trigger has on you it may not get resolved but at least it doesn't have such a grasp on you where you just get triggered out of the blue you have no idea where it comes from and you're just going to live with it and that's just the way it is and the, the other person has to change not you You don't have to heal, they have to fix their behavior because you have an emotional trigger that won't go away, so on and so on. Uh, But once you understand the origination of your trigger, that might help it release its grip on you. Now, there are ways to heal from this. You can explore it even further. You can ask yourself, why were you upset then? What did you feel? Was it a violation, a disrespect, a neglect, a blame, or a shame? What was going on in that specific moment? What did you need in that specific moment? I mean, that's what uh, triggers reveal is they reveal what we need. They also reveal what we're upset about. But when you can figure out what you need in that moment and then do what you can to fulfill that need, because typically your loved ones, the people in your life aren't able to fulfill your needs. You think they are, but what we have to do is fulfill our own needs and then everything else is like um, icing on the cake, cherry on top. If we can fulfill our own needs and then bring this version of ourselves into our relationship, then we can have a great relationship with someone who does the same thing. But if we can't fulfill our own needs and we utilize other people to fulfill those needs, they will become our new emotional triggers because we haven't resolved those things inside of us. So that might require therapy, that might require listening to shows like this, uh, introspection, reflection, whatever you need to do to get to a place where you start unraveling this and loosening its grip on you. So where I like to go with lashing out is finding out when it really started. In the big picture, all you have to do is go, I just lashed out. What emotions were present? Did I feel violated, disrespected, neglected, blamed, or shamed? Is it something else other than that? And when did I feel that for the very first time in my life? And start to, you know, um, connect the dots. Now, there are times when you don't remember what the event was, but you remember feeling that way for some reason. So here is a seed I want to plant into your unconscious mind. When you're ready to explore this emotional trigger, just allow your unconscious mind to present it to you when you are ready to uh, work with it. So that may take you a day or a year. I don't know. But I'm just planting that seed to give your unconscious mind permission to work with you through this. I know it sounds strange treating it as a separate entity, but just realize that it uh, stores a lot of information and it has your best interest in mind for you. And there are things that it knows that it can share with you when you're ready to deal with it, when you're ready to work with that information and uh, start changing and healing your life. And I've had to say this to myself. I've had to say, whatever it is going on down there, bring it up. I want to deal with it right now because I'm sick of going through this. You know, there might be a place that you get to where you're just sick of it happening the same things over and over again, the same kind of upset, the same arguments. You might have to ask yourself at a deep level, Whatever is going on down there, bring it up so I can deal with this. I'm getting sick of this. And that gives a little message to your subconscious mind too. (laughs) Letting you know that, okay, it's time. And if you can allow that to happen and uh, just bring it up, you might have some tears over it. You might have some anger over it. But if you can't handle it, you know, certainly seek uh, support. Seek a good friend. Seek therapy. Whatever you have to do. And what you might find out is that the resolution... The resolve that you come to from that original trigger when you were younger, once that's resolved, you don't get triggered today. That's the goal. So thank you for writing that question about lashing out. Good question. Uh, I have an email from you. I'm going to reply to you directly, uh, but I hope this helps answer that question. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. I'll say some goodbyes and close the show after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I'm going to thank a couple iTunes reviewers. Shan00, I think, said, I got hooked on these pretty quick. I can find relevance and advice in just about every episode. I'm very thankful I found this podcast. I look forward to them each week. Highly recommend it for anyone trying to focus on bettering themselves and living a more positive, fulfilling life. Thank you, Shan00. And this one's funny. Uh, Mar- <laughs> Matt R. Jennings said, "Safe." Not too heavy with a side of fulfillment. Not hokey. Not clinical. It's therapy for your ear holes. (laughs) Take that, ear holes. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Matt R. Jennings. I appreciate you. I also want to thank today's sponsor, Honest Tea. Go to honesttea.com forward slash podcast and check out their organic bottled teas today. Really do it. Go check it out. And the MEAN worksheet is now available. It is the Manipulation and Emotional Abuse Workbook. That's uh, an evaluation and guidance system to reclaim your power after emotional abuse. Are you in an emotionally abusive relationship? Check it out. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash MEAN and you'll get a 200 item checklist of signs and symptoms plus a description of manipulators and the types of manipulation and all the subtle tactics that they use. You get three audio conversations with manipulation survivors and experts, a path to your next steps, including healing and regaining your power, and a whole lot more. Go check it out, theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash mean. And I want to thank the patron members. If you get value from the show and you want to support it, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. The patron program is not only a way to support the show, but it also gives you access to uh, the mean workbook that I just talked about, the other worksheets that I've created, and a whole bunch of free episodes and, um, even email coaching. So give and get back patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And whether you're a patron or not, I want to thank you. If you're listening to this show, I appreciate you. If you've purchased one of my books, worksheets, or use the Amazon link on the website at theoverwhelmedbrain.com, that's the easiest way to give back. So if you really do want to give, go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on that Amazon link every time you shop. Your shopping habits are making a difference. So thank you. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. You know, talking about uh, the mean worksheet, there's a section in there called Plan Ahead. And uh, these are some of the important steps to take if you choose to leave the relationship. Because uh, one of the things that a manipulator will often do is um, interpret your desire to end or leave the relationship as a threat. And um, there are some responses that you'll get that you need to be prepared for. And like one of them is, after everything I've done for you, or you're such a terrible person and you're a disappointment to our children. Or they might even go as far as to say, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to us? If you leave, I'm going to kill myself. These are all manipulations and you should not be subject to them. If you're in a relationship that puts on these kind of uh, guilt trips, You need a healthy path out of that kind of communication style uh, or even out of the relationship because that's very emotionally abusive and it puts you in that um, double bind kind of place I was talking about earlier where there's just no win and nothing you do or say will satisfy your partner. Even if you choose to stay in the relationship and try to work things out, uh, the emotionally abusive person will set up scenarios so that you fail. And not only do you you fail, you think you're the cause of that failure. It's sort of like um, an email that I got the other day, or it might have been a month ago. (laughs) It was some email I was reading and it said, um, he cheated on me because I did this. And I stopped and I thought, what are you doing? Why are you blaming yourself for someone else cheating on you? And I had to think about how we often blame ourselves for something that somebody else did. I mean, yes, we can do things in a relationship that would certainly cause someone else to be upset. If I smashed up my girlfriend's car, she might be upset. But does that mean she should take my truck and go smash it up? I mean... And, I'm, and that's an extreme example but let's just say that it wasn't that extreme let's just say that my girlfriend and I hadn't had sex for a year and she was getting sick of it you know, because I was holding back and she decided well I'm not getting sex at home I'm going to go get sex elsewhere and she went and cheated and then she came back and she said well you weren't giving me any sex so I'm going to go cheat because where else am I going to get it I'm not the cause for her going out I might be the trigger, but I'm not the cause. The cause for her going out is what she feels inside and how she responded to those feelings and how she behaved because of those feelings, not because of what I did or didn't do. Because really what it comes down to is in the example of cheating, many cheaters will blame the person they're with for their own behavior to make the person they're with feel guilty to make the cheating justified. And that to me is not healthy. If you are blamed for someone else cheating, I want you to turn that around and know that the person who cheats is the one who took the steps to do it. And when they try to blame you for it, that is really an excuse. And it's them saying, I chose not to tell you how dissatisfied I was in our relationship. So instead of doing that, Instead of facing up to that and facing you, I decided to go get my needs met elsewhere. That's what that's about. Now, am I missing anything here? Are there actual causes? I mean, the only cause I can think for you causing your partner to cheat is if you held a gun to their head and said, go cheat. Or if you threatened them in some way. And if they didn't cheat, you would do something to them or their family or whatever. That's the only thing I can think of. So what I'm trying to say is that when someone cheats on you and they blame you, it's not your fault. You may have done things in the relationship that made them feel a certain way, but it's up to them to tell you how they feel. Let's just say that um, it's something they don't want to talk about, like, I'm not attracted to you anymore, or the sex is boring. Okay, wouldn't you rather have them say that than go out and cheat? I mean, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth maybe you wouldn't i don't know but when i try that on i would absolutely want to hear my partner say sex is boring with you instead of them just going out and cheating and betraying me and committing what i call emotional murder it's awful that's like the worst feeling ever so for them to to go do that and then i find out about it that's a lot worse than feeling the impact of the sex is boring with you or I'm not attracted to you anymore or you're getting too fat or you're too tall or you smoke and and I I don't like kissing you or you chew tobacco. Whatever it is, instead of being honest saying, I'm not attracted to you anymore, You, you do these things and I don't like those things. To go out and cheat without saying those things, that's the cheater's fault. That's the cheater's blame. The blame goes on the cheater, not you. So no matter what you do, it's not your fault that they cheated. It's their fault for not talking to you in an upfront way. I don't know, because of fear, because of not wanting to lose the relationship, because if they say something, maybe you'll want a divorce, maybe this, maybe that. Who knows? But it's still their at cause for the cheating. Now, I'm not saying all cheaters are bad. I'm not saying any cheaters are bad. I'm saying that this is just a black and white issue to me. When you do the behavior you're making a conscious choice to do it. Therefore, you are at cause for that behavior. So when your partner cheats, that means that they made a conscious choice to be with someone else. And they also made a conscious choice to not talk about it with you. I mean, even a comment like, I'm not attracted to you anymore, and I'm attracted to other people, and I'm thinking about cheating on you. As much as they don't want to say that, I would still rather have my girlfriend say that to me so that we have something to work with once she cheats I don't really have much to work with it's it's already done but if she said that to me I'm not attracted to you anymore I'm thinking about having sex with someone else now we have a serious problem but we have something to work with so my only point is to this person who wrote the email don't put yourself as the cause of someone else's cheating that's their behavior It's almost like the thing I hear about, um, hey, if you don't want to get raped, don't wear anything sexy. I'm like, where do people come up with this stuff? You have to put 100% of the blame and the cause on the person who does the bad deed, not the person who ended up attracting the person who did the bad deed. That has nothing to do with it. Just because someone can't control their willpower doesn't put you at fault. That's their problem, their dysfunction. Don't take the blame for that. And if you need any more convincing that you're not at fault for someone else's behavior, let me just ask you to keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. I want you to be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.